In Trump time, truth, straight, no chaser, the definitive insider's account of the White House of Trump. Peter Navarro's In Trump Time War Room is brought to you by Getter, the Twitter killer. Sign up for Getter today and strike a blow against cancel culture. Getter, the Twitter killer, an ultimate in social media engagement. Now here's Dr. Peter Navarro deep in the D.C. swamp from the In Trump Time War Room. Hi, I'm Peter Navarro, and welcome to Episode 7 of the In Trump Time Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to reprise a segment I did over the weekend for Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic. I'm going to juxtapose my segment against part of the material Darren Beatty of Revolver News presented to Steve. And this stuff should curl your hair. As I demonstrate in Chapter 21 of the In Trump Time book, The last three people on God's good earth who wanted violence to erupt on January 6th were Stephen K. Bannon, Donald John Trump, and myself. What Darren Beatty reveals, and it is incredible, is what looks to be a secret plot, perhaps with FBI complicity, to instigate precisely the very violence on Capitol Hill that disrupted President Trump's ability to get a legal count of the votes. As I document in my In Trump Time book, it was all about the Green Bay sweep. We had 100 congressmen lined up, and Vice President Pence was supposed to send the votes back to the battleground states for a legal recount. That didn't happen precisely because violence erupted on Capitol Hill and gave the opportunity for Mike Pence to betray our American Caesar, Donald John Trump. Beatty goes into a vivid description of how a small handful of instigators were able to tear down the barriers leading up to Capitol Hill while President Trump was still speaking and well before crowds assembled at the site. At least according to Beatty, and he looks to be spot on, this appears to be a trap set by instigators who sought to provoke the very violence that disrupted the president's ability to get legal votes counted. So take a good listen to this, and after you get as mad as I do, call your congressmen and senators, tell them to get off their ass and conduct a real investigation rather than the sham January 6th Lynn Cheney circus now going on with subpoenas flying. Now, as the boss says, let's go. Okay. Peter, I've got you here for another reason, uh, but I I just got to ask you because your book is so vivid the book in Trump time, amazing and a, and a bestseller everywhere. Um, y- you do have a scene there, a very powerful scene of that morning when you were kind of jogging through the crowd and the scale of it. We just had Darren Beatty. They're breaking news all the time, a revolver about how there were people up there cutting the barricades and the bar- why Donald J. Trump's still speaking. Just g- g- give us your memory of that day in the crowd, sir, real quickly, because then we can get to the, the matter at hand than the memory. It's in my journal and it's in the In Trump Time book in chapter 21. Uh, It's kind of a funny story. I was supposed to be on stage. Gavino had invited me up there to speak with the crowd, but as usual, they were like doing their jockeying and stuff like that. So I wound up in the morning uh, working on the Green Bay sweep. Like, remember, this whole Green Bay sweep uh, before Congress was predicated on peace and calm on Capitol Hill so that Vice President Pence could be the quarterback with 100 congressmen to send those votes back 
to the battleground states for 10 days to get a, a hard look at all the election irregularities. That's the context. So, you know, by the time about 1130 rolled around, um, I went out for, for my mid midday exercise, essentially. It was, it was cold, man. Nor'easter's coming down the mall. I get out to the mall. And I run down to the ellipse, and there's what I call this undulating swarm of deplorables. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. The boss is giving his speech. Um, as I'm going along the way, um, it's peaceful. Every, you know, everybody's smiling. They got, they got the flags. They got horns. They got this, that, and the other thing. I, there just wasn't a whiff of anything other than kind of a joyous, deplorable crowd. So I'm standing there. I watch the speech. Um, the speech is still on when I turn around. And I run all the way down the other end of the mall, Steve, to Capitol Hill. And I get there, and it's, it's just totally calm. There's not a lot of massing crowds. But I did notice one thing, and it kind of struck me. Um, there was very little in the form of either personnel guarding the perimeter or anything that really constituted a secure perimeter. There's a few bike racks up and this, that, and the other thing. But all, it, essentially... It was unguarded. And you know, what we now know in retrospect is that uh, the Capitol Hill police uh, were not urged by Pelosi uh, to basically uh, up their security or improve the, the security. Uh, the Pentagon like kept their people away. I mean, it was like an open invitation to breach that perimeter. And I love Beatty's. Um, portrayal of this, because I think it's exactly right. There was a trap set. You know, as soon as those few barriers went down, when everybody else kind of arrived, it, you know, it's like I walk, I walk or run up around that Capitol like three or four times a week. It's like normal. You can walk on yeah. the grounds and send the other thing. So yeah. Yeah, the, Peter, the, the reality yeah. is very different yeah. from, from the CNN okay. fantasy that you hear. Look. Let me talk about fantasy. Let me get a hard pivot. We're going to have Sam Harris kind of tee up the next section with Dr. Naomi Wolf. But he makes a case that there are many intelligence people that have gone to the best universities that believe all this insanity about COVID vaccines, the mandates, the, the virus itself. Your book, and we're going to have Bobby Kennedy on later about Fauci. This book is replete with you going head to head with Fauci. Now, I want to go back in time. Was there any time? we got seven minutes. I'm tossing the ball to you. You run with it. Yeah. You confront it, and this book is one confrontation with Dr. Peter Navarro and Dr. Tony Fauci time and time and time again. Did he ever bring up evidence, facts, data to counter anything you put in your 10 memos, anything advice you were giving the President of the United States? Take your time and walk us through because what Harris is saying is all you guys are insane. You're, you're not looking at facts. You're not looking at science. I just, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. Dr. Peter Navarro. Yeah, well, the three big confrontations I had with Fauci, and it was on more than three occasions. The first one in January 28, 2020, when I didn't know he walked on water, he was opposed vehemently to the China travel ban and didn't think the virus uh, was a threat. And, and I, I took him at his word then. Uh, I simply thought he was an idiot, that he thought he was smarter than he was and that, that he really was going to do harm to us. But that date's important, Steve, because behind me for the podcast audience is the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And I now know, and I show in the In Trump Time book, uh, Fauci committed the biggest lie of omission in world history because Fauci knew at the time 
that that virus almost certainly came from the Wuhan lab, run, by the way, by the People's Liberation Army. He knew that it was spawned by the gain-of-function experiment technology that he had transferred to the Chinese indirectly through cutouts like Peter Daszak and Ralph Barrick and, and, and to the, the, the crazy bat lady, Xi Jinping. Um, and he also knew it was genetically engineered based on the emails he got. So, so when you ask me about Fauci, it's like he, he's got so much blood on his hands. The, the important thing of his lie of omission, Steve, is that if we had known the genome of that genetically engineered virus, which we still don't have to this day, we could have designed a much better and real vaccine. A polio and smallpox vaccine is actually a vaccine. We don't have that. We have a faux mRNA technology, which is a primitive six-spike protein injection to provoke a limited immune response. And not surprisingly, we're seeing uh, booster, booster, booster from Big Pharma. And people now uh, who have had booster, booster, booster still can get the vaccine. And that's, that's all on Fauci. I mean, there's so much wrong with Tony Fauci. The second thing I fought him on um, was hydroxychloroquine. I had 60 million tabs of that ready to give to 4 million Americans and save tens of thousands of lives. Fauci fought that just like in the 80s. He fought some, some medicines that could have been used to save 17,000 people who died unnecessarily from AIDS. I had to fight him uh, on, on that. And every time I fought him, Steve, you know, I had the science. He had anecdotes. And that was it. That, the problem with Fauci is he never hold, hold, understands stop, his stop, own science. Stop, stop, stop. I want you to go back. Every time in this book, every time you're confronted with him, because I know you. you. This is why you're such yeah. a pain in the ass to me. You always bring facts. You bring receipts. You bring evidence. This is why you've been right on, on the trade policy, on China. This is why you've been right on the stock market calls. This is why you've been right, because Navarro brings the evidence. Did Fauci, in any of these classic confrontations, was it about therapeutics, uh, what happened in Wuhan, the travel ban, later on the vaccines, did Fauci ever in a room debate you on facts, bring evidence, bring science, bring data, sir. No, he did not. I think the, the best story in the In Trump Time book is when I met him in the Situation Room. Vice President Pence was chairing a meeting on hydroxychloroquine uh, that, that I had specifically wanted to get. And we had everybody in there. We had Han from the FDA. We had Jerome, the Surgeon General. Uh, the CDC was there. Fauci was there. And um, there was a lot of support for hydroxy in the room. When it came to Fauci's turn, he goes, anecdotal evidence say it doesn't work. And at that point, it's in the In Trump Time book, I walk over with a stack, Steve. It's this high of scientific studies. And I slam it down right in front of him, point to it, and say, Tony, that's not anecdote. That's science. You need to read that and stop saying that crap that you're saying. And it shut him up for about two days. And then, as I talk about in the In Trump Time book, CNN and Zucker weighed in with all this hydroxy hysteria, and he gained control of the whole, Fauci gained control of the whole situation, but never on the basis of science. Remember, there was, a, there was an old uh, uh, comedy act that they did on NB, NPR about Dr. Science, like mocking the guy. When Fauci says, I'm science, I represent science, you can't attack me, 
he never presents any science. He just asserts that he's science. And and so it goes. And, you know, I, I, I just, yeah. I mean, he, he has to go. If I had one hope for the In Trump Time book, which is why I want to get it out there, is to get Fauci out of government, okay. into jail, and to stop jabbing our six-year-olds. That is criminal child abuse. Okay. The book is on Amazon, In Trump Time, bookstores everywhere, but you can definitely get it on Amazon. It's over a thousand five-star reviews. The reviews are off the hook. How do people get you on Getter? Your Getter account is on fire. How do they get to you? Yeah, real, real P. Navarro. Getter is the Twitter killer. You just got to go to Getter. It's the ultimate in social media engagement. The best confrontation, the best counter to about uh, we don't do science is this book to get back into Fauci's face and wrestling. Peter Navarro, you're an American hero and a patriot. Thank you for joining us here on Saturday. Appreciate Take care, it. Admiral. This segment of the In Trump Time podcast is brought to you by Steve Bannon's War Room. Join Bannon's War Room posse and get tomorrow's news today. All signal, no noise. Bannon's War Room. There's breaking news, so we've carved out time for a very special guy who we think the world of, uh, Darren Beatty over at uh, Revolver.News. Uh, this is about this activity on on January 6th. You've got a major story that just went up. I want you to walk folks through this the, this blockbuster story that you've been working on for weeks and weeks and weeks on Revolver News. Tell us what's going on. Yes, we've been working tirelessly on this since our last bombshell piece on the Ray Epps saga, which took the nation by storm and which I've spoken about quite frequently on your show. And so I'm going to assume that most of your readers remember that piece. That is this individual Ray Epps, who is in the mountains of video documentary evidence on 1-6. He's the only person documented to have been calling for going into the Capitol in advance. In fact, we have him on video multiple times calling to go into the Capitol the day before 1-6. And that just isn't some you know drunk, crazy guy with a crazy idea, and that's, that's the end of it. On January 6th, he's a veritable Where's Waldo. He's everywhere. All leading up to the first decisive breach of Capitol grounds at 1253, long before the Trump speech ended, by the way. Leading up to that initial breach, Ray Epps whispers in a man's ear, and then two seconds later, that decisive and fateful initial breach occurred. Now, Ray Epps remains unindicted. As we reported, the feds seem to have zero interest in him, which is a change because he used to be one of the 20 people featured on the feds most wanted list. After Revolver.News published our report, the day after, they quietly scrubbed him off. And so that's where we left off. This sequel piece, this Follow-up to the Ray Epps story is huge and explosive, and everyone should go to Revolver.News now, read it in its entirety, and share it. What does it do? This tells the true story of what happened on 1-6, the story that's been covered up by the entire official narrative. The official story is that the January 6th really kicked into gear with the Proud Boys basically converging on that initial breach site. But what we show is that Ray Epps is actually the individual involved in that breach site. And what we show is a story of several people who are hanging out by the Peace Monument before the Proud Boys even get there. And curiously enough, this number of individuals who are hanging out before the Proud Boys get there play key and decisive roles in the initial breach 
in cutting fencing and removing fencing, setting up a booby trap before Trump's speech is over and before the crowds were heralded to the Capitol. In short, we have a handful of people, key figures, five to be exact, who played decisive roles from very early on, who are unindicted, and whose actions collectively, together with Ray Epps, set the conditions for the 1-6 to turn from a rally into a riot. We tell the story how it actually happened, and we tell it using key individuals, not just Epps, who coordinate with Epps, who created the conditions for 1-6 turning into um, a riot. And uh, that's, you know, there's a lot more stuff in there, but that's the essence of this piece that I encourage everyone to go to revolver.news and read in its entirety. Okay, here's what I got to understand now. And this is the blockbuster piece of it. This is the blockbuster yeah. piece of it, is that um, the blockbuster piece is you're saying, that, and you've done timelines, because this article is, is, is very detailed, that yeah. shows that these people were up there before President Trump ended his speech or even did what, what, uh, what they're, they play it over and over again on a loop on MSNBC when he said, hey, I think we ought to march peacefully up to the Capitol, right? Before that speech ended, these yeah. guys, the, these five that you've identified, the Ray Epps posse, right, mm -hmm. his, 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 his collaborators, they're already up there actually technically, physically breaching the, 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 the barriers at the Capitol? Yes. So, yes, that's an important point because um, I think a lot of your viewers and a lot of people don't quite understand this. So... Uh, the initial breach, this what I call the Ray Epps breach, the breach that occurred two seconds after Ray Epps whispers in a certain individual's ear, that breach occurs at 12.53. That's almost a half hour before the Trump speech is over. And so the decisive story here is you have a number of individuals who are breaching the grounds, who are decisively cutting and removing fencing. And what that does is that creates the condition such that when all the rally goers uh, go to the Capitol, they don't see any barriers because they've been removed. They don't see fencing, so it's been removed. And ordinarily, on ordinary days, that ground is entirely free. It's not restricted. So by removing those barriers and removing the fencing and having no trace of it, you're setting people into a booby trap because when they cross these now invisible barriers, they're actually committing a crime. And certain people have actually been indicted for this, just not even knowing that they committed a crime because they didn't see any fencing. And so that's a decisive part of the story. But I think more important than this happened before the end of the Trump speech, this happened, these people, these key people were loitering around the peace monument before the Proud Boys got there. And the reason that's so important is that the official story says that everything started with these Proud Boys here. Now, I think it would be a hell of a coincidence if a, if a number of decisive individuals who are involved in agitating the crowds, removing the barriers, everything from the very beginning, all unindicted, if these decisive people showed up at the same place at roughly the same time before the Proud Boys got there, and they all ended up taking key roles in the event uh, throughout the entire day. And these people are ignored in the mainstream account, which focuses primarily on the Proud Boys. Now, additionally interesting is we know, or we have 
strong reason to suspect that the feds were reading the Proud Boys text messages. And in fact, some of the people who led the Proud Boys to that location have admitted that they're in regular communication with the FBI. There's a very strong likelihood that the feds knew where the Proud Boys were going to be. And given this new narrative presented in this Revolver.News piece, it seems like a very strong possibility that the feds said, okay, we know the Proud Boys are gonna be at this location, we're going to text a bunch of our people to go hang out there beforehand and make sure that this thing kicks off into a riot. And that's precisely what happened. And the conditions were set precisely for it to go down like that. But every angle from the crowd agitators to the fence cutters to ushering people here and there and everywhere toward the Capitol to tell people to keep moving forward and so forth. This is the story of the setup. We know there was a setup before, but this is, shows the mechanics of the setup, how exactly it happened, and introduces a number of key individuals who have been unheard of in the mainstream press and remain unindicted to this day. And how the trap was set. I, I want to go back, and we only got five minutes here, but I just want to go back and make sure, because this is of a piece, and this is why Revolver is so important, Darren Beatty particularly so important. You've got the Michigan piece of the set of things you've done in Michigan, which is the preamble. That's the 12, I think, of the 20. It used to be 18, but I think 12 of the 26 now are either federal agents or informants right. in the kidnapping, right. in, the, in the phony kidnapping of Whitmer, right? And the head FBI guy goes right. back to D.C. Then your second big piece was the original Ray Epps, meet Ray Epps, who's, uh, and Ray Epps is former, what, military and law enforcement also? And, and you've got he's all the videos. He's former military, he's, uh, he's a Marine, and he's also, uh, notably, the former head of the Arizona chapter of the Oath Keepers, which is a heavily prosecuted militia group associated with 1-6, and um, there's a whole other story, and I've talked about Stuart Rose and everything yeah. on other segments. So he 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 has his fingers in a lot of pies. Let's put it that way. Now now now, now you've got now you've got the trap being set, and the key here is he's actually got the individuals, and you can see they're they're up there, getting this ready. Trump's still speaking. Trump hasn't even right. asked people to go up. They're right. they're, they're up there. And, they're, they're they're prepping. And if I as, could, they're prepping. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. If I could just quickly introduce yes, just the in, implausibility of Ray Epps and these other key figures traveling in many cases across the entire country. Some, many of these key figures, two of them are from Texas. Ray Epps is from Arizona. It's not across the street to get to the nation's capital. They have to travel across the country. So they travel across the country to go to this Trump rally, presumably. They're so dedicated to Trump that they do this. They're wearing Trump gear and so forth. But after traveling all that way, they decide to just not go to the rally at all and instead just hang out near the peace monument uh, you know, a half hour before it all ends and spend their time removing barriers and breaching and instigating the crowd. It just doesn't make sense in addition to the fact that they're unindicted. And in some cases, we know that the FBI knows who they are. In fact, one of the individuals we talk about is known as black ski mask individual who's on camera tearing down fencing. We know that the feds know who he was because just the day before he was picked up in a largely unreported, very bizarrely unreported uh, instance in which there was a, a van that was stopped 
on suspicion that it had explosives and it did have firearms and everyone in the van was taken out. They were questioned. They tried to get DNA swabs. And this guy who was cutting the fences, he was in that van. So the feds know who he was because he was picked up by the feds the day prior. And yet they have no interest in him and, and don't arrest him, don't indict him for anything. And it's the same story for the others. We, we got to bounce, but I got to set in this perspective. Remember, it's the FBI and the Justice Department told us this is the biggest investigation in American history. This is bigger right. than looking for Nazis in World War II. This is bigger than looking for guys in the communists here in the 50s. This is bigger than the Vietnam War protests. It's bigger than the infiltration of the Black Panthers or the civil rights groups. Simonese Liberation Army, take picket. The, 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 the jihadists in Brooklyn, the blind sheik. This is the largest in history. They've told us that. And you got right. Darren Beatty breaking monumental stories. Where is the investigation? I want to say everything to potential whistleblowers out there, the FBI, Justice Department, Sheriff's Office, you pick it. This is all going to come out in a formal process starting after we run the tables in November 2022. Darren Beatty's setting the table now, but this is all going to be formalized. This is all going to be adjudicated. So people should come forward now. This is buy in Trump time today on Amazon and find out what really happened on November 3rd, January 6th, and in a Wuhan bioweapons lab in Trump time on Amazon.